Good morning, everybody. Good morning. The story begins. So we're on, in our books here, page 44. Let's do a quick recap. What's going on? What's happening in our lives here? <laughs> in our inner selves. We introduced the concept that everybody has two souls. The fact that everybody has two souls, that itself is a big paradigm shift in how we understand our struggles because we're not just struggling with inclinations, a good inclination, a bad inclination, some sort of outer pull, but we're struggling with personalities. So the, we often will get to these, this crossroads in life and it's not should I do the right thing, should I do the wrong thing, it's actually who am I going to be? Am I going to be what my animal soul wants me to be? Is that who I am? Is that the way I'm thinking? Is that the way I'm feeling? Is that the way I'm perceiving life? Or am I going to be something else? Which will introduce that new soul today. We said this animal soul, it's not the soul that an animal has. It's just given the name animal soul because it has, because it's more instinctual, more um, impulsive, if you will, rather than intentional. It comes from a negative force referred to in Kabbalah as klipa. Klipa, we said, means a shell or a peel, which means what you're, what it, it, it judges life based on what it sees rather than the reality. So, it will, so for example, it meets a person, and the first thing it notices is not who they are, but how they look. That's a good example of klipa. That's the outer selves. It's not noticing anything deeper. It's not the inner part. That's the animal soul. It's instinctual. It's quick. It judges, it goes by what it sees, what it experiences, it can't, it, 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 it's living, um, it's going for instant gratification. We gave, the example we gave is the difference between Esav and Jacob. Esav was all about gratification, always wanted more. Yaakov, Jacob, was about meaning, was about purpose. And that's where we get into the second soul. We introduce the second soul, referred to as the godly soul, the divine soul just to lay out the structure of what's going to be happening in Tanya. For the next, till chapter 8, we're going to be going into details about the soul and about Klip and about all these different um, Kabbalistic terms. We're going to make them as practical as possible. But we're just going to be laying out or understanding the soul structure. So in today's class and even next week's class, the entire chapter 2, Focus is not on what the soul is, but more on where it comes from. In chapter 3, we'll get into what it is. We defined a soul as how I think and feel. We'll get more into that in detail in chapter 3. But today he says, the second soul, this is page 44, the second soul in the Israelites, so-called the divine soul, is a piece of God above, literally. This second soul is literally a piece of God. And he brings a verse to, um, to illustrate this. If we, if we go down on the page to the next bold line, it would be the second to last paragraph. The verse says, And God blew into his nostrils a breath of life. So let's compare and contrast the creation of man to the rest of creation. How did God create the world? With his voice. With, with, with speech, right? God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, let... But how did God create man? By breath. By breath, right? 
or actually he formed him with his hands and then he blew into his nostrils. What's the difference between speech and breath? What's the difference between speaking and, and blowing? What's more tiring? What's more exhausting? Blowing. Blowing. Because which one is more... Because it goes inside. The breath, the speech, maybe just goes to your outer shell and the breath penetrates it. Exactly. And it also physically connects you. Like just saying something, you may not have that physical connection. Oh, but when you have the, the breath, you have... There's a physical impact. There's a physical impact. Yeah, you're, you get physically tired because it's coming from a, deep, a deeper place. <laughs> So when we say God created the world, you know, there, it's, the world was something he, so to speak, said. It doesn't come from that deep of a place within him, at least not um, on, a, on a surface level. But the soul, the divine soul, something God blew. When a person blows, it comes from the depths. Like you said, it, it exhausts the person. It tires the person because it's them. Right? You could talk all day, but you can't blow all day. It's much more tiring. The soul is, is pretty much God, if you will. It's a piece of God. Another analogy that he uses to illustrate this. So analogy number one, the idea of blowing as opposed to speaking. Another analogy, the idea of thought. Let's take a look on page 45, the middle paragraph. Um, it's kind of smack in the middle, the bold paragraph. In the same vein, the Medrash depicts Jewish souls as having arisen in the mind of God. So what does that mean, a soul came from the mind? Compare your mind to your ability to speak. What's the difference between thinking and speaking? One's internal, one's external. Internal and external, good. Another difference? First you think, then you speak. Okay, one causes the other. Okay, one precedes the other. Okay. Well, thinking is more in depth. Thinking is more in depth, more broad. More broad. In a sense, okay. Yeah, Speaking is more say, focused. Like, think before you speak. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, there's. Like, like Michal was saying. Another thing about thinking and speaking. Speaking is for other people, thinking is personal. If you existed on an island by yourself, you wouldn't need to have the ability to speak. You could just think. In fact, if you were just to be, if you were to be on an island by yourself, you might not even know how to speak. If you never, where would you even get those skills? If you have nobody to talk to, unless you're shipwrecked and then <laughs> exactly <laughs> Tom Hanks movie, Wilson, Wilson. But the the idea of thought, thought is personal. Thought is just between you and yourself. So when we say that this divine soul is not something that was spoken, it was breathed. It's not something that was spoken, it was a thought. God didn't speak our souls, he thought our souls. What does that mean? The personal relationship between the soul and God is, is deep, meaningful. If you will, it, it's almost intimate. It's not about anybody else. It's not external. Let's go down on the page, the next bold paragraph. He brings another few verses to illustrate this idea. Torah portion two weeks ago. Pharaoh, sorry, uh, God tells Moshe, go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. And they know Pharaoh's not going to listen. And God says to Moshe, let Pharaoh know who these people are, who he's dealing with. This is on page 45, so the middle paragraph, the, the second to last middle paragraph, a, a paragraph down from where we just read, as the verse states, Israel, oh, okay. my firstborn son. 
So God tells Moshe, tell Pharaoh that Israel is my firstborn son. You are children to God, your God. Now, if you take that literally, if you weren't, if, in other words, before we learn Tanya, what is the meaning of that verse? What does that mean, we're the children of God? Somewhat metaphorical, right? A parent loves their child, God loves his people. But Tanya takes it actually literal. According to Kabbalah, and this is, if, you've, if those of you who have read the beginning of the chapter have seen this, a child, now a child, I mean, biologically, a child is produced from both parents coming together, a mother and a father coming together. But where does the child ultimately stem from? Good, but, but, from, but where, on a physical sense, where does it stem from? Ultimately, it stems from the, the parent, the father's brain, from the father's mind. That seed that the father, that the husband will give to his wife, ultimately came from his mind. Maybe not in a physical sense, but on some spiritual level. I don't know if this is scientifically proven, but definitely on a spiritual sense, it all starts in the mind. Um, there's a whole discussion in Jewish law, in Jewish philosophy, about having the, the need for having pure thoughts during intimacy for that reason. Because it comes from the mind, that's where it all starts. Again, but sometimes it's not holy. Sometimes it's just your animal instincts to have sex with your wife. That, that's why a person has to be intentional. But it's not always, I mean... Okay, so we'll get into that. We'll get into the idea of being intentional. How, how, once we understand the soul structures, we'll understand how we can make choices rather than just acting on impulses. And it doesn't have to contradict um, living a joyful, meaningful life. There's a book by Rabbi Manus Friedman called The Joy of Intimacy. Interesting book. He talk, he talk, and he talks about the city. But, but as, as the Tanya unfolds, as we unpack the lessons, you, you'll see. But the idea is, and the point of that is just to illustrate that the, connect, the relationship that the soul has to God is that of a father, is that of a, a child to a father. Child is a carbon copy of his father because he's physically a piece of his father. A soul is physically, or I should say literally, a piece of God. Just like a child comes from the parent's mind, and your mind is essentially you, a, a Jewish soul comes from God, so to speak, mind, it's essentially him. So just to compare and contrast the divine soul with the animal soul. The animal soul comes from Klippa. And again, as we said, we're going to try to, I'm going to try to wean us off the, transla the Hebrew uh, translated, the, blah, the translations, because the translations don't do justice. But if I end up saying words that aren't clear, stop me anytime. The animal soul comes from Klippa, from this force, this shell force. It wants what it sees, right? The, sea, the animal soul has the seafood diet, <laughs> right? It sees food, it eats it. The divine soul, what does the divine soul want? It doesn't want necessarily what it sees. It has an inner passion that's deeper than that. Why does a child want to connect with their parents? I think it's instinctive. It's instinctive. It's instinctual. There's no reason for it. As soon as you give reasons why you love your kid, <laughs> you have to, you, you have to re, we might have to start rethinking things. There, sh there, there shouldn't, if I tell you why do you love your kid or why does your kid love you, 
and you start giving reasons, we're going to have to talk. <laughs> there should not be a reason, right? It shouldn't be a reason. We should love our kids unconditionally. That's the natural thing now. Sometimes there's complication, there's, there's complicated relationships, and other things get in the way, and that's totally, you know, that's part of life, and we, can, we work through this. But on, a, on an ideal level, there shouldn't be a reason why you love your kids. There shouldn't be a reason why your kids love you. It's just, that's just the way it is. If a, if, a, if a kid says, I love my mom because she cooks me good dinner, the mom may be an excellent cook, she'll be offended. That's why you love me? <laughs> I'm your mom. You shouldn't have a reason. Why do you love God? I just do. It's just, I'm part of him. Just like I'm part of my parents, I'm part of God. It's just who I am. There's no reason. Now, compare this to a marriage. A marriage at first, or Let's say before the marriage, people are dating. Two people fall in love with each other. It might be different. It's different than this relationship. Because there's a reason why you fell in love with that person and not someone else. It wasn't necessarily a... Um, unless, you're, unless you're actually soulmates and you get married. But let's say before that stage. Before you found out you were soulmates. So what motivated that love? Or that interest? that excitement, that attraction, there's some sort of reason. And it's very normal, whether it be physical attraction, whether it be you share a lot in common. And that's why a person has to actually ha get married. Because what, what does marriage mean? Let's forget the reasons, let's make a commitment beyond reason. Any reason doesn't matter at this point, because we're committing. We're gonna get to that same level that a parent and child have, where it's beyond reason. That's a choice. Marriage is a choice. You choose to commit. You choose to love beyond reason. But with a parent and child, you don't choose to love beyond reason. You just do. Our relationship with God is way beyond reason. We have no choice in the matter. Question? Right. Yeah, I'm sorry to take you back. So you said God blew his breath. And then what did you say about the thinking, about the mind? The so that, that's another idea to illustrate the how... Deep, the soul is rooted within God. So says, your, your thoughts are a deeper part of you than your, what you say. So even the thoughts are godly? No. So, so the soul came from his thought, so to speak. Or the soul came, that's what I was yeah. saying. The soul came from his thought. From his thought, which okay. means it's part of him rather than speech, which is just off the tongue. Yeah, that's what I was missing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and, and that's why the soul has such a strong uh, connection. So j just to, Ill in other words, the soul's connection to God is not what it does, it's who it is. So to give you an example, I, I reflect back on my yeshiva days. Back in yeshiva, so in, in, the, in the Chabad yeshivas, the way it works is Friday, we end early, you end at about noon, we disperse all over town, and we, we find Jews, we offer them the opportunity to put on tefillin, to light the Shabbos candles, just, or even just to, 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 to bring the warmth and, and beauty of Judaism to them. And what we do is, I mean, often you'll have like an assigned route. And you'll go to several offices, you'll meet with people. You know, over the course of a year, you get to know them, and, and, and it's fun. You know, you're, you're walking down the street, you, see, you have your tefillin with you, 
And just, just to put you in my mind, <laughs> right? You're walking down the street with your tefillin, with your Shabbat candles. You encounter a Jewish guy, or he looks Jewish. You say, excuse me, are you Jewish? Actually, I am. Would you like to put on tefillin? Rabbi, I'm not religious. Okay. Would you like to put on tefillin? <laughs> Rabbi, I'm not orthodox. Okay, we're speaking two different languages here. Would you like to put on tefillin though? <laughs> no, no I, I'm not observant. I haven't done this before. My parents haven't done it before. I didn't grow up in that environment. My mother never lit the Shabbos candles. Okay. Would you like to put on tefillin? <laughs> what is the miscommunication that's happening here? You're Jewish, hello. This is who you yeah, are because yeah. you have this soul. And the way he was looking at it, if, isn't Judaism a behavior? I act Jewish. And if I'm not behaving that way, then I'm out. Right. And what we're saying is no. It's not what you do. It's who you are. It's reflected by what you do. Our behavior is a reflection of our deeper selves. And if we're behaving um, in line with the Torah, that's a reflection of the divine soul which we're going to discuss more in chapter 4. If we're behaving in line with our impulses, that may be a reflection of the animal soul. It's not always a bad thing, but it could be bad. It doesn't have to be bad, though. It could be neutral. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So you and the person were miscommunicating, were miscommunicating on different levels. Why wouldn't you say to him, let me explain why it's important. So he starts looking at the divine side of it. Because I was young and stupid. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what would you do today? It's probably what I would do. <laughs> but even in Israel, you know, people are Jewish and Chabad comes and put tefillin and people are like, no, 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 no. Even if, you know, there's no question. Not everybody, right? No, no, no. look, everybody has their own place and has their own journey and... and right yeah. in the middle of Machne Yehuda. Yeah, they know yeah. you're Jewish. Yeah, still. My, They're like, oh, both Rabbi, my boys yeah. and Jeff, yeah, right <laughs> well, in the middle of oh, shopping. Yeah? yeah. But is there something... Sorry, my shoelace. Is there something like by you just saying, I don't know that it, I don't agree that it was young and stupid because when I first I, mean, I was kidding, but I yeah. Know, I know, but when I first met the rabbi, it was at Hanukkah at the mall. And I had met from already, and you know, and I didn't understand um, their traditions, you know. And Fruitman goes, Judy, this is the rabbi. And I put my hand, hi, oh. nice to meet you. And he goes, here, have some gelt. And I go, oh, great, thanks. Nice to meet you. Here, have some more gelt. But, <laughs> but why wasn't there an explanation? Just like you didn't offer an explanation. Is there something you didn't with... want to hurt you? Probably. Well, sometimes it might be hard to explain yeah. something on one leg in, in, in a mall. That too. Whereas if you sit down in a class and it's a discussion, it right, might, it might right. be a little bit. Sometimes I mean, the form is more appropriate. Yeah, I mean, maybe then at that point, Fruma said, that's okay, I'll, you can shake my hand. And then I think I had an aha moment. You know? <laughs> but it was just like, just kept repeating the same thing like you did. Like, um, do you want to put on tefillin? Right. Instead of you explaining at that. So I don't know if that's just. No, no, but definitely explaining would make, would, would make more, more sense. Um, but the idea is there, there's a paradigm shift here by understanding that we have this divine soul where Judaism is not just behaviors. 
Again, the whole Tanya is telling us that we're not just behaviors. Should I do good? Should I do bad? Who am I representing? Who am I expressing? Which part of me? Which soul? Which personality? And my divine soul, which makes me Jewish, wants certain things. Even if it's not always behaving that way, because it has a neighbor, <laughs> which is the, the animal soul, which doesn't necessarily want it to behave that way, or maybe it doesn't even know it should behave that way, because it doesn't have the education, doesn't have the background. But the point is, because of this divine soul, it becomes the relationship is not, what do I do? What do I receive? It's just who I am. That's all it is. And I, I think this text here on text one on our page brings out the point. This is a, an excerpt from Hayom Yom. Hayom Yom is... Um, every day. Is a... Is a uh, what? Yeah, every day. Is a, is a, is a daily calendar, if you will. It was authored by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and it's a short paragraph, just like this. Short daily dose of inspiration every single day. And he says that Tzemach Tzedek writes, the Tzemach Tzedek was the grandson of the author of the Tanya. He was known as the Tzemach Tzedek because that was a book that he authored. And he says, the love expressed in the verse, besides you I wish for nothing. What does that mean? I wish for you nothing else means that one should desire nothing other than God, not even heaven or earth. So the divine soul's love means I don't want heaven. It's not that if I do, if I light the Shabbos candles, I'm going to go to heaven. That's not even the point. It doesn't want heaven, want the higher Gan Eden, the higher paradise, the lower level of paradise, the lower Gan Eden, for these were created with a mere Yud. This is just created by one letter of God, if you will. The love is directed towards Him alone, right? Creation is done with His speech. But the soul doesn't come from his speech. The soul comes from him. From the soul's perspective, I don't want something he created. I want him. Right? And by the way, this is, a, well, this is a great model for interpersonal relationships as well, as we'll soon see. To his very being and essence. This is actually expressed by my master and teacher, the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. When he was in a state of Dveikut, he was in, a, in an inspired state. He would pray and he would get inspired and he would exclaim as follows. He would say this. This is what he would say. I want nothing at all. I don't want your Gan Eden, I don't want your paradise, your heaven. I don't want your Olam Haba, I don't want spiritual reward. I want nothing but you alone. He was able to gain consciousness of his divine soul's inner core connection that it had with God. Where he was able to get to a point where he realized, I want nothing, even, even if it's godly, even if it's heaven, that's not what I'm here for. I just want you. And by the way, this is a beautiful model for interpersonal relationships. I don't want what I'm going to get from you. I want you. Tzaddik no? You know, he, so, so that, that is a level of a tzaddik. And it, it's not necessarily practical for us. But it, the Rebbe actually points out many times the fact that we know that he used to exclaim this is for a reason. So on some level, it can be practical. On some level, we can get to a point, whether it be in a moment or in certain areas, where I feel like I just want truth, and it's not about what I get out of it. I could get to a point where it's not, will God reward me if I get this? Or, I, this is just the way it is, and I want it, and keep it simple. Right. It's a very simple relationship. My understanding is, if you do a mitzvah, it helps the departed rise to a higher level. So, 
you do get a benefit. Oh, the, the, the benefits are for sure there. The benefits are for sure there. But he was able to tap into a deep part of it within himself where the benefits weren't his sole motivation. Your sole motivation to do a mitzvah could be to help. I mean, when you say a kaddish. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For the benefit of... For sure. And it's a very good thing. It's a very good thing. But he was able to... He, he tapped into a deeper spot. In other words, that motivation is only good if you're interested in that benefit. Right. Over here, his motivation was, I just want the truth. Nothing can, nothing can shake it. Nothing can phase it. In other words, the, the benefit's beautiful. If, you're gonna, if, you're doing, if, if heaven motivates you to, go to, to do a mitzvah or somebody's elevation or all these beautiful benefits help you do a mitzvah, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. But there is something to say for an un... There is a core. There's something deeper than that. A relationship... You know, look at an interpersonal relationship. You don't want to love your spouse just for a benefit. Because what am, what am I going to get out of this relationship? Right? There's the relationship itself, which is valuable. And that's where... That, that's a perspective that the divine soul has. Now, it's not a perspective that we all have, but there's moments of inspiration where we can tap into that, and as we'll soon see uh, when we learn the Tanya. Just an interesting thing. The soul's connection to God is actually deeper than that of a parent and child. Um, this idea is expressed halachically. According to halacha, I mean, the, the soul, as we said in the beginning, the second soul is a piece of God. A child is a piece of the Father, but at the end of the day, he's a separate existence. He's an independent existence. The soul is actually a piece of God, and there's actually a difference within practical halacha, practical Jewish law. According to Jewish law, you have no obligation to sacrifice your life for your parents. According to Jewish law, you have an obligation to sacrifice your life for God in, in three instances. So there's 613 commandments. There's only three of them which require uh, life sacrifice. Idolatry, adultery, and murder. Right? If somebody were to, God forbid, give an ultimatum. Do one of these three things, or we kill you. So a person has to sacrifice their life for God. Um, if a person says break Shabbos or we kill you, you're allowed to break Shabbos. Um, but, but the reason, the point is, a person has to sacrifice a soul... Why would a soul sacrifice Why does a soul have to sacrifice itself for God? It is God. It's not really sacrificing. It's just who, it's just who I am. The soul doesn't feel it as, see it as a sacrifice. Uh, we, we may experience it as a sacrifice. Does that make sense? The idea is just to point out the strong relationship that a soul has with God. What were the three things? Idolatry? Idolatry, adultery, and murder. And murder. So something interesting here. The, the Tanya calls this divine soul the second soul. The animal soul, the first soul. The divine soul, the second soul. Anything funny about that? Right. You would think it should be the other way around. The divine soul, it's a piece of God. That's why are we putting God second? <laughs> Why is the animal soul, which is our lusts, 
our self-orientedness, our instinctual, impulsive self, why is that first? Because that's easy. Okay, good, good. That's or, easy, it's natural. Or um, used more, done more, or often. Okay, it's more, it's more uh, part of us, good, good answers. Any other thoughts? <coughs> well, it's required to stay alive. Okay, it's more necessary in a sense. Okay, these are all very good answers. Any other thoughts? So I'll give you three answers. And they, they are along the lines of what three of you actually said. So you're thinking the right track. Answer number one. For those of us who, excluding myself, <laughs> who have raised teenagers or are in the middle of raising teenagers, this will, all, this will help make sense of things. The divine soul doesn't fully integrate in the body until bar bat mitzvah. It says, so there's actually, there's several stages. Stage number one is for a boy, the soul will integrate at the bris, at the circumcision. For a girl, the soul integrates right away. That's why for a boy, we don't give him his Jewish name until the bris, whereas a girl, we try to give the Jewish name as soon as possible because her soul comes in earlier. Um, but the soul doesn't fully integrate. A person doesn't become fully... That soul's not fully accessible, if you will, until Barabat Mitzvah. Which means your first soul is your animal soul. Just chronologically. It literally is your first soul. Which, by the way, makes sense why teenagers may have a harder time adapting to life than a 10-year-old may. All of a sudden, there's this new soul. I'll try to remember that next time. <laughs> <laughs> all, all of a sudden... Yeah, you and Kim are right in the middle. <laughs> to, to, to have an animal soul that's not being challenged... So you have a good boy, you have a little good boy chick, right? Because the animal soul is not being challenged. But all of a sudden, Barbat Mitzvah, there's this new soul that comes in. The animal soul is being challenged. Now it needs to act up. Now the inner conflict is real. Never experienced this inner conflict before. At least not to the degree that it's going to. And this inner conflict will... doesn't necessarily get easier. We get more mature. We have more... and hopefully learn more skills on how to keep a pulse on our animal soul and how to train our animal soul. And learning Tanya is definitely helpful in understanding ourselves. But it's the first soul. The divine soul is the second soul. It only comes later. And by the way, this idea of the divine soul, the animal soul feeling challenged and acting up is actually discussed. We'll get there in, in chapter 28. Chapter 28, he says, you're praying and you're getting all these distractions, right? If you want to solve the world's problems, pray to God because that's when all the solutions come to mind, right? <laughs> that's when all the distractions come while, while you're praying. Why? So Tanya makes the argument that it's not because you're doing a bad job praying, it's because you're doing a good job. You're doing such a good job, the animal soul feels challenged and threatened and has to make its way back into your mind and has to, has, wants to be part of that fight. So you're doing, if you weren't doing a good job praying, you wouldn't need to challenge you. If you didn't have the divine soul, you wouldn't need that challenge. The, the animal soul wouldn't challenge it. A, a teenager gets cha feels challenged because that divine soul 
is coming and it's new, it, it's, it's, un, uh, it, it's unfamiliar, it's uncomfortable. Reason number two. Reason number two is similar. Uh, it's because of reason number one. <laughs> because your divine, your animal soul is your first soul, which perspective do you have? What is your worldview? The divine soul or the animal soul? For most normal physical, people. Physical. The, right? Yeah, the animal. The animal soul. Right? Having a divine soul view is actually weird. A tzaddik is not normal. <laughs> we can't be a tzaddik and fit into society. <laughs> it doesn't work. The animal soul is literally the world view that we have. And this is discussed in chapter 29 of Tanya. Incredible chapter. Where he, he says, often we feel, and it's our reality, that we don't, we're not a soul, we have a soul. A tzaddik doesn't have a soul, a tzaddik is a soul. But for us normal folk, we have a soul, but we're a body. And our body has this soul that we have to try to connect to somehow. There was the great sage Hillel of the Talmud and of the Mishnah. Hillel used to say, I'm going to do my body a favor. He was going to go eat. I'm going to do my body a favor <laughs> by go eating. I'm going to eat. His perspective was that he had a body and he needed to take care of the body because God entrusted him with it. But that wasn't who he was. That was just there to facilitate something bigger. Now, bottom line, we are, our, we are a soul. It's facilitated in the body. But, but the, in, we're talking about in terms of the perspective that we have on life. The perspective that we have on life is that we don't have a soul. Sorry, we're, we're, we're not the soul. We have the soul. So why is the animal soul number one? That's just the perspective that we have. That's the worldview that we have. And we hope for inspiration once in a while, right? And we have the tanya to help us access the soul. Reason number three. Question. Um, is it ever... I mean, not that you would know every, everyone, but is it ever, um, does it ever happen that when somebody reaches Barabat Mitzvah, you know, that there might be a, a connect in their brain that changes their motivation from more out of animal to godly, you know? Like, I mean, you say it happens, it comes in at Barabat Mitzvah age. But do you ever see a bar bat mitzvah age youth um, see kind of a light bulb go off? So they, they, they could know this, but at the end of the day, it's still something new. Mm -hmm. even, even if I'm bar bat mitzvah, I know I'm about to have this new, new uh, inner ability to experience life in a different way. At the end of the day, my natural self is still going to be challenged. And it's still going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I will say there are different, last week we discussed the four temperaments of the, of the animal soul, right? There's the fire, which is the anger or arrogance. There's the water, which represents lust. The air, which represents emptiness or idle chatter. Earth, which represents, it's heavy, which represents lethargy and laziness. There's different balances, there's different personalities, there's different types of animals. The way the the the, the, the authors of Tanya words it in a different place. He doesn't mention it in Tanya, but he mentions it in one of his other discourses. You have, since you have different types of animals, you have a little sheep, right? And you can have a 
goring bull, ox. And they're both animals, but they're different, right? Some, some are harder to wrestle with, and some require different attention in different ways. Everybody's, good. Everybody's different. It's a good question. It's more like the who I am, right, all of a sudden, what? Do they start but, questioning? I mean, that's where identity yeah, yeah. crisis starts. I only see the yeah. Nefesh Be'emit right now. <laughs> it's, like, uh, uh, it's all about themselves, right? Right. So, <laughs> yeah, but I experienced that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, the, the divine soul, to extract it out is, you know, we all know how hard it is. Right. <laughs> how hard is right. it to connect to our Judaism? Right. In a deep, meaningful soul way. I mean, it takes inspiration, but the, the Tanya will give tools for inspiration to inspire ourselves to get it out. We'll get there. At what age do you start to study Tanya in the Chabad community? Is it something that they start at Bar Mitzvah? Or is it? it started around Bar Mitzvah. I'll be honest, it's difficult to for a 13 year old to understand this. You can distill the concepts and explain the concepts. But the in-text reading is part of what level of study? I mean, they start, but you have to relearn it when you're a little older. <laughs> you learn it when you're younger, you understand it one way, one way or you, you, you'll glean bits and pieces. You'll learn it a couple of years later, you'll understand it. Uh, you know, the more you learn, look, every time, just preparing for this class, I, I, I've learned new things. Right, so now when, when is it introduced? But it, it's introduced. I mean, they know about it, but, but it's introduced probably formally around 13, around high school. Definitely around high school age. Okay, so now the third reason. Third reason why it's referred to as the second soul. This is going to be counterintuitive. Buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> the reason why it's the second soul is because it's actually not as important. Sounds crazy. The divine soul is the second soul because it's not as important. What is the purpose of creation? The purpose of creation, based on our first text that we read, is not to go to heaven. It's the connection with God, right? But that's, in, that's on earth. The divine soul doesn't really need the inspiration. In other words, if the goal of the divine soul was to love God, it doesn't need to be born into a world because it loved God already. <laughs> right? So what is the purpose of the divine soul? To influence the animal soul. That's all, it, that's what it needs to do. It, it's, it's to influence, train it. Right? If the goal of the divine soul was just to fall in love with God and to experience and just to feel good, it did that in heaven already. Why come down to earth? It, in fact, it's going to feel even better in heaven. It comes down to earth for a purpose, for a mission. So let's take a look. We're going to jump ahead to chapter 37, page 421, where he addresses this issue. Four hundred and twenty-one. It's the second to last paragraph. Comes. It starts with the words and coming into this world. And coming into this world is a very great downgrade for the soul, a real experience of exile. Why? For even if that soul 
body combination were to become a complete tzaddik. Even if my soul came down here and I was completely righteous, I totally internalized the soul, worshiping God with reverence and great pleasurable love, that soul wouldn't reach the same level of the emotive connection to God, the love and fear that it experienced before coming down to the world. Neither part of it nor a fraction of it. However much I am inspired in this world, however much I fall in love with God, it's never going to be the same as it once was before my soul came down in heaven, where it didn't have the distractions, where it, didn't have, where it had more clarity. There is simply no similarity or comparison at all between the two states. Okay, so let's jump to the bottom paragraph, the last word on the page, rather. What's the, what's the purpose of the soul coming down then? Exactly. A good time. <laughs> if the soul is just to experience God, just to experience love, it could have done that up there. Why did it come down? To do a mitzvah. Exactly. Rather, the soul's downgrade as it is invested in the body and energizing animal souls for the sake of fixing the body and animal soul, not for the soul's sake. And that's, again, like Zach said, through mitzvahs. When you do a mitzvah, your animal soul is physically engaged. Most mitzvahs are physical. Because when you do a mitzvah... You're physically lighting the Shabbat candles. You're physically giving charity. You're physically wrapping the tefillin. You're physically doing, your prayer is even physical. You're physically uttering, uttering the words. The whole, the, the, the divine soul is kind of like that Chabad Shliach. Why does that Chabad Shliach move to Kathmandu, to Morocco, to, to, to these random places? It's not because there's a good yeshiva there. If it was coming for the good yeshiva, it would stay in Crown Heights. <laughs> what it's doing is there to share that yeshiva experience. The divine soul is trying to, to share its divine experience. Not just to experience it. If it was just to experience it, it could have stayed. Practically, to do a mitzvah. To engage the animal soul. I'll tell you a story. Or before the story, let's look back at our chapter. This idea, and that's why it's the second soul, it's the less important one. It's, it's a means to an end. It's there to influence, it's there to inspire, it's there to impact, it's not there to experience. The very first line in our chapter, the second soul of the Israelite, the so-called divine soul, is a piece of God above. Those two words are almost dichotomous, especially in the Hebrew. In the English, we don't see how dichotomous it is, but it says, Eloka mima'al, God above. On the one hand, Sorry, mamash, literally. On the one hand, it's a piece of God above. On the one hand, it's lofty, it's spiritual. This is on page 44. 44, the first bold line, first bold paragraph. It's a piece of God above, literally. Dichotomous phrases. It's above, it's holy, it's spiritual. It's literal, though. Mamash, the word mamash, literal, also means mamashut. It's practical. It's real, it's physical, it's practical. The divine soul on the one hand is super spiritual, on the other hand, it's super physically impactful. So here's the story. It was Rosh Hashanah. It was uh, in the Altar Rebbe, the Altar Vitania Synagogue, and they had an incredible Rosh Hashanah, an incredible uplifting Rosh Hashanah. Felt the energy in the room during the prayers. And the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, says to his son, says, No, what did you daven with? In other words, what meditation did you use to inspire your prayers? But the way he said it is, what did you daven with? He said, I meditated on the greatness of God, his sovereignty, his vastness. It inspired me. 
He says to his father, what did you daven with? In other words, what did you use? What was your meditation tool? He says, I daven with the stender. I used my lectern. With the what? Stender. The lectern. The, the, the amud. Oh. The, 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 the dukhan. I used the stender. I used the lectern. The wooden lectern, that was my meditation. What does that mean? Right, what are you talking about? <laughs> what kind of inspiration is that? A relationship with God and the divine soul is not the experience of love and how he is in heaven. It's here on earth. It's bringing God down to earth. The, the goal is not to go to heaven. The goal is to bring heaven down here. And that was the lectern. His lectern became a, became a conduit for divine energy. For his lectern literally became holy. When we do a mitzvah, our animal soul becomes influenced because the animal, you can't make a physical movement. Like you said, Zach, you can't live without the animal soul physically. You can't make a physical movement without the animal soul. And when that physical movement is servicing the divine soul, that physical movement becomes holy. The divine soul is impacting the animal soul on its mission. The animal soul is the goal. That's the purpose to influence it, to train it, to inspire it. The divine soul is just the tool in which God uses, chooses to do that with. I'll just end off with an interesting letter that I read from the Rebbe. I told you he has all his 39 volumes, or some 33 volumes of res personal responses. And I was just reading this yesterday. There was a, a guy, and again, when you read these letters, you don't get the full context because you see one side of the conversation. But this guy was traveling. He was, traveled to London, and he wrote about his, it was a, some sort of rabbi, and he wrote about his experience. I don't know if he was a rabbi, but he was knowledgeable, and he was, a, was some Hasidic Jew. He wrote about his experience traveling to London. And the Rebbe responds to him, you didn't write about what you did to inspire other people. And he says, and I don't believe that you would feel uh, inhibited because even though you have an animal soul and that's the perspective you live with, at the end of the day, your animal soul and divine soul have been living together for so long. I guess he was an older gentleman. They've been living together for so long that divine soul must have had some sort of influence even subconsciously over the animal soul and Jewish outreach, you should feel less inhibited. The Rebbe was saying, even naturally, just the two souls living together, one is going to influence the other. But our goal is to actually be intentional about it, having a mitzvah where I'm, where I'm physically impacting my animal soul. That's with the divine soul, which is part and parcel with God. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So that's how you're supposed to come to peace with yourself, to, to solve the conflict. Yeah, in other words, there, there's a reason for the conflict. And we're going to talk more about the conflict. Mm -hmm. so, so the truth is we, we... Right now we're just getting the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. But the conflict gets more meaningful and complicated. As we understand the soul, what the soul is, how it thinks, how it feels, what its drives are, as we understand more clearly what klipa is, where the souls are, um, reside, where they, where they manifest themselves within our bodies and our hearts and our minds and how that works, the whole structure. It's going to clarify the conflict and it will set the stage to give us tools to resolve the conflict and to ultimately train the animal soul.
if not at least subdue it to a degree, to the degree that in which we can. And basically, we're learning this to help our own divine soul and yeah. animal soul. So this is in other words, it's to take it more personally. Exactly. And the other option, you could go somewhere and you can get inspired. But what we're doing here is we're not getting inspired. We're just getting informed and we're getting tools to develop that inspiration. You can wait till Yom Kippur and I feel my divine soul, right? I'm inspired and I want to do Judaism because I, and there's a little bit less tension because I'm, I'm passionate now. But, but it's not Yom Kippur every day and it's going to wear off. Over here, when we actually understand the soul and we understand the mechanism, we'll be able to get ourselves to that state, maybe not as deep as Yom Kippur, but to some degree, where we'll feel less spiritual tension. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And those seven attributes of the Gvura, the, all these are part of the soul. The, all, all those are part of the soul, part of the soul's part personality. Of the soul inside yeah. the there's, there's, the, there's the passion that the soul has, there's the discipline that the soul has. We'll, we'll get into that for sure. Yeah. And there's, I don't know if it's a tale, or I think you also mentioned something about it, that before the neshama comes down, it's new a lot, and then it forgets. There's something, there's, I don't know if it's like a... So it, uh, it's, yeah, it says like in the Talmud. It's a tale, or it's not yeah. from the Torah. No, it's, it's from, it's, the Talmud says that before a soul is born, it's taught the, the entire Torah, and then the an angel teaches it the entire Torah, and then it... Makes it forget, gives it a little whack. I don't know if it physically hits it, but it it somehow prompts it to forget everything that it's learned. And and why is that? You you talked about it even. I think. Yeah. Well, because we got to start from scratch. Start from scratch. <laughs> if you knew scary. everything, if everything was clear. What's <laughs> the purpose? Yeah, there's a story about Lilith. Right. Um, that that yeah. gave a kiss. And the kids yeah. took everything yeah. away. So the censor says the angel hits it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we have this little indentation. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So that that's from the Talmud. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. 